0: You're listening to episode 224 of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I am your host, Kyle Daigle. I'm super excited this week. This week, I have my good friend, Brian Nelson, a designer and developer and UX person, a really good guy uh, coming on this week. Uh, he'll be a recurring guest just like Joel last week, who was really great to have on. Um, so I'm super excited to try out this new format. Uh, we just uh, finished recording the segment, and it's really good. So uh, stick around, listen, uh, there's lots to talk about around design, using UI, using UX, and um, what he uh, what he's up to these days and, and how you can be a better designer even if you're a developer because in our heart of hearts, we are all designers. Uh, last week, I had Joel on. Thank you so much, Joel, for coming on. Uh, he'll be back in a two weeks to uh, talk more uh, about what he's up to with Ruby on Rails. Uh, he has a startup uh, that he's working on called Shoebox, um, and we realized that last week uh, after we talked about it for, you know... Almost 30 minutes, that it might not be clear how it's spelled or how you can navigate to it. So go check it out now. It's a really cool way for you to upload um, images and your assets. It's shubox.io, shoebox.io. That's the startup that Joel had. So this week, I've been really focused on a bunch of different things at work. It's been pretty fun um, looking at uh, getting onto the newest Ruby and how to blow that out amongst a bunch of different services that we have over at github Um, looking more at our graphql api and getting that out to everyone which has been a lot of fun Um, we talk a little bit more about that in the segment so uh stick around but um but yeah pretty uh pretty good two weeks and we're back here with a new episode or right on schedule um so i think this new approach of having guests on in a recurring fashion instead of trying to do interviews is probably going to be the way to go. So thanks for sticking around and downloading last, uh, the last episode that we put up last uh, in two weeks ago. Um, And so uh, please uh, stick around and listen to this one. If you could, please go to iTunes. You can subscribe and leave us a review. It's really helpful. Or share the podcast on Twitter uh, with a friend or or someone you really want to hear more about Ruby on Rails. You can message me at KDaigle or uh, shoot me an email uh, if you'd like to chat with me more. I'm happy to answer any questions you have. And um, yeah, let's uh, move it right along. This week's episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is sponsored by Casper. So you probably heard about Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating the inflated prices and having to go to a showroom and dealing with the creepy uh, mattress sales folks. Uh, It's an award winning sleep surface developed in house, has sleek design and is delivered in a small, really cool package. I personally have not had the pleasure of receiving a Casper mattress yet, but uh, every time I am online, I like to watch the little unveiling videos where they open up the box and out pops this enormous mattress uh, because it's all vacuum packed and super cool. And the best part about it is you aren't pair, uh, aren't paying the really, really high markups that normal mattress industry has. Uh, an in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It combines supportive memory foams for a sleep surface that's got just the right sink and the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design helps keep you cool and regulate the temperature throughout the night. Casper offers free delivery, free returns, and a 100-night home trial. So if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress because I bought a much more expensive mattress than a Casper, and I've had it for way too long, and uh, I bought it uh, without having my wife come. And so it wasn't a particularly successful purchase, so I probably should just uh, stick with the casper mattress uh next time next time when we're going to get our new mattress Uh, with over twenty thousand reviews and an average of 4.8 stars it's quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress again free shipping and returns to the u.s and canada you get it for 100 nights if you don't like it they'll return it and it's designed developed and assembled in the usa Get fifty dollars towards any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com slash Ruby on Rails and using the code Ruby on Rails. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much, Casper, for sponsoring the Ruby on Rails podcast. Now onto the show. <laughs> Did I introduce you to Rails, by the way?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I have you to blame for that. <laughs> I was actually going to, I was like
0: thinking in my head like, oh, I wonder how Brian got into Rails and then I realized I might have forced you to use it. Yeah. Did no, I really
1: though? Um, yeah, I think so. I think you, so you, the company you were working for at the time uh, was a, a Rails shop and you said, hey, we could use some design help. And I think your plan was to keep me out of rails as much as possible. <laughs> and eventually I just kind of started picking things up. But yeah, it was totally <laughs> of us. Definitely, of us. Your, definitely your fault.
0: Now, do you hold that against me or do you feel like it helped your career?
1: <laughs> no, actually, I think it helped a lot. Um, but yes, I definitely, I mean, I definitely will always hold it against you. Um, yeah, no, it's it's been uh, really good, actually. The I think the way I started was really just HTML and CSS. And so to be able to um, to learn something like Rails uh, has helped a lot. There's, <clears throat> it's opened up a lot of opportunities for me anyway. Yeah, so speaking of you, who who are you? Oh yeah, that's a good, we should start there. Uh, my name is Brian Nelson. Um, I am, uh, I'm a designer developer, I guess. Um, oh my boy. official title is <laughs> UI UX designer. Ooh doggy. Um, But, uh, I actually, we were friends growing up. Um, but, uh, let's see, where, where do I start? Uh, I I, I
0: mean, you know, with your version of the truth.
1: Yeah. Right. (laughs) So I, I went to school for graphic design and basically back then it was all print design. Um, really no, nothing, no training on the web or anything like that. And, um, very quickly I realized that, uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunities and by uh, opportunities
0: that. do you mean money because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> i like to measure my life and how many opportunities are in my bank account <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes we'll oh. say
1: there was definitely more opportunities <laughs> i available.
0: theatrical lighting design because of a lack of opportunities <laughs>
1: yeah and uh, you know uh, I'm,
0: I'm teasing, of course, no, like but you're slightly, tot- but
1: no, you're, to- I mean, I think you're totally correct. Like, um, I probably could have, you know, I actually, my first job was more print design and, and things like that. But what I found myself drawn to was stuff on the web. Um, there was, I think kind of an immediacy there that you don't really get when you're doing stuff like designing a brochure or something that has to go to a print shop before you get to see the finished product. Um, and you know, to be able to press save and upload in, you know, Dreamweaver or whatever, and you see it live mm. on an actual website. Yeah, I know, we're going back. <laughs> I at least missed most of the front page days. Era. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, Dreamweaver was a tool of choice back in the day when Macromedia was, <laughs> was the hot thing. Oh my thing. gosh. Are they still around? Uh, Adobe bought them. Oh, okay. So they kind of assumed all of their, uh, We'll call it assets, I guess.
0: (laughs) Opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Awesome.
1: Yeah. I found, again, I think, you know, I found myself drawn to that, uh, to the web stuff. And um, from there, you know, then I had you to blame for introducing me to Rails. Um, But that's been awesome because basically every opportunity since then has been somewhere, somehow connected to Rails. Um, So that's where I'm at now.
0: So I'm curious, like, one of the, so one of the things I know we've talked about a ton, and I kind of just want to bring to the podcast directly, because I think Sean and I actually talked about this a while back, mm-hmm. um, is just basically around, like, designers that can write Rails. And like whether you view that as a positive or a negative or (laughs) if you think that's helped you out or if you think that it kind of might have tainted you a bit because it forces you to think within like the limitations of what you know of Rails, you know, Uh, because I mean, my position to be totally clear has always been it's been such a joy to work with you on projects because when I hand you things like you're like, Oh, I'll go make a control action and I'm going to wire this form up. And like, you can usually get pretty far, mm-hmm. which I find like super valuable in comparison to like the old school over the wall method where it's like, here's some HTML CSS and you put it in and then I would put it in the asset pipeline or whatever. Right. Um, so I'm curious if, you know, you've been in a couple different gigs now as a rails proficient human being. Uh, and so I'm curious if you found that to be a value to your career or, or more of a distraction, I guess.
1: Um, it's actually kind of funny because now uh, in the position I'm in now, it's sort of like harkening back to I kind of get to play around with the design side of things and not do a lot of production code mm-hmm. um, and sort of you know let the quote-unquote experts handle it, um, <laughs> which has actually been sort of nice. Uh, but uh, no, I think it's a huge asset to sort of have that knowledge. Um, I mean, I think as a designer, if you're going to do anything on the web... Um, it's, it, I think you have to know something about HTML and CSS, right? I mean, there's like no question there in my mind that you need to have some experience with that to know kind of the limitations of the platform that you're working on. It's like having experience with different paper types and, you know, I mean, different printers and things like that when you're working in print design. Yeah, nerd. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's where I came from. Um, so, um, but. It's my home. Yeah. Right. Um. But, as far as rails is concerned, um, should designers know it? Um, I don't I think it's been helpful, but I don't think that it is a necessity, and I don't definitely don't think that I should be writing production code. Um, I, I have, <laughs> but it's stuff that, you know, it's probably if I look back on like some code I wrote maybe a couple of years ago or maybe like six months ago, I'd be like, wow, what the heck was I thinking there? Um, so, you know, I think it's definitely been super helpful to have that at least general knowledge of, um, how things work behind the scenes. Um, it gives me a really clear picture because uh, as a designer, I like to know, how things work and how they're going to get implemented because that's a big part of the picture.
0: Now, how do you feel about developers designing?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So actually, um, this is going to sound very, um, hit me. Uh, I don't know if trite is the right P-pupus. word. Pompous. Well, okay. So there's a guy. So the, there's this guy named Jared Spool who's uh, works for this company in Boston called User Interface Engineering, mm-hmm. and um, he's a big proponent of um, user experience. He's a user experience designer, and so one of his big sort of themes is if you're working on something that a user is going to use, you're a designer. Like whether or not you're you know writing the HTML code or writing the Rails controller actions or whatever. You are part of the design process, and so uh, I mean I know you're probably talking about you know should a developer be dis- actually writing CSS and 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 making choices like that? Um, sure, I mean if there's plenty of developers that I think have a good eye for design, um, and I don't think that there's sort of any. I mean, I don't think there's some hard and fast rules about you know what makes a designer a designer. So, uh, I. Yeah, I would I would err on the side of, yeah, I think developers are right to design. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm not sure I would trust you to do it. <laughs> well, no, but I mean
0: like so even though like even in your definition there, like saying basically if you're doing anything in the UI, like yeah. you're a designer. I mean I, I think that's totally fair, but I'm curious, like I I don't know, me me I, I find I find it harder to discern like Good UI or UX design than sure. it is for me to be like learning a new programming language or learning how to you know use a new type of technology because it's so much more subjective? Question mark um, or at least like <laughs> is like a lot more complicated. Whereas like with code, right? You're it's I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little bit over the top. Like I I just I find it to be something that I feel like a lot of our listeners will experience you know i mean most folks at least do a tiny bit of design in the way that you've described it sure. um, but i bet a lot are you know pulling down bootstrap and making it work mm. the way they need and then going on their merry way so
1: well admittedly i do i work a lot with bootstrap as well
0: <laughs> what
1: <laughs> i have no qualms saying that
0: so you're like uh you're like a person that does tiles but you just buy those big sheets that are like two foot, by already, two foot. Gl-
1: <laughs> already glued together and <laughs> yeah. you just have to basically spray adhesive of them to the wall. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I think yeah, that's I how can that come, works. I could come do that. I'm um, a professional tile person. Well so let me ask you this though, as a developer, do you feel like when you are writing code a certain way, you're making certain choices I mean, it's sort of design in a way. I mean, we're just you know, it's a bit semantic, but
0: sure. The difference is that a computer tells you more often than not if you're wrong or not,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but there's, you know, there's how many ways to skin a cat and you can, there's a lot of different ways,
0: but (laughs) like, it's like, to me, it's more like, right. Like if you are, if you're creating a web interface Mm -hmm. and you click a button and the action happens, right? Like under the covers, that action is happening because it was coded, you know, either it works or it doesn't work. Right. Right. But the thing that's interesting about UI is that button could be confusing. It could only show up if you hover. It could not show up correctly on mobile. It could... Do you know what I mean? It's a a much different situation because it's so much more complicated. Um, And so I'm just like, I'm curious, you know, that's something I obviously i'm sure you just gain experience in over the years but i mean like what's a what's a way to like speed up that learning process if you're not just a you know straight up designer or someone who's doing this every single day because so, i know i'm always like a clown and i'm always you know pinging you or dming you like hey can you check out this thing because uh it's really it's really hideous yeah it's
1: a, <laughs> now um so it's actually funny i was just reading this article the other day about Um, this concept called copy work um, which sounds sort of like plagiarism yeah Um, i was gonna say (laughs) does it
0: rhyme with stealing
1: (laughs) okay well so that's sort of sort of the concept but it's meant to be um, uh, an exercise to improve your skills okay and so um, i think i saw it on like smashing magazine Um, and so the the basic premise is um, you Try to recreate um, like an interface or a design that you think is really great, um, with the idea that what you're doing is kind of flexing those muscles that you're not usually used to, mm-hmm. um, and so you're not you know necessarily just digging into the CSS and copying and pasting. What you're doing is trying to come up with those you know how that's how that works on your own, um, and so I think that's a great way to kind of um, like if like one thing that they talk about in the article is. Um, uh like that's how artists used to learn right they would go to mm-hmm. a museum and they would look at uh the uh, leonardo da vinci painting or whatever and set up their easel and sit in front of it and try to copy it
0: so i've done that right, <laughs> right. in when i was in school the, for being the a, in a fake artist yeah. i would be ordered to go and sit in front of a sculpture or a painting and yep. then recreate it and let me assure you i was just as good at that as i am at ui design
1: <laughs> <laughs> but how okay so but how long, i mean you didn't continue practicing right you had, no,
0: but i mean <laughs> you, but you're right i mean like having like having done it the fifth time yeah. like you know for a different painting you start to just understand roughly like how to attack it which yeah. i find to be valuable even if the micro you know uh the micro parts of it weren't exactly yeah like beautiful. i mean,
1: in my opinion, with like a UI, there's sort of like two things at play. There's like, is it functional, and what is the style, right? And style to me is totally subjective, right? It's, I mean, that's completely a personal thing. Um, it, it's, it's uh, you kind of come up with that as you go along, right? Um, and things like, uh, but does it is it functional? That I think is something that can definitely be learned. Um, just by um, observing stuff that you use and whether or not it's functional or not. Um, you know, I mean, like, look at you. You're using GitHub every day, right? It's just, mm-hmm. you have to. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm a, legally obligated. <laughs> right. But you can very quickly find the parts of that UI that are the friction points, I think, just sure. by using it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that what I've been trying to, you know, what I always try to encourage our engineers to do is, you know, you need to kind of dog food your your app at least, or, you know, at the very least use it every day. Um, Because that's going to be the best way that you learn how to improve it. Um, And these may be just little things like, well, I wish we had this feature, or I wish this button was over here. But those are the things that, you know, our users are doing every day, too. Um, And so, I think those are kind of some simple ways, at least to, to start with that functional piece of it.
0: Sure. And so like with, with that advice, I mean, like, I think I'm, I'm super lucky and I, to be honest, it was one of the things that I was looking for when I was looking for a new gig was finding a company that I was a customer of. And I think yeah. that has its own pit, pitfalls, but we'll, we'll discuss that later. Um, but with, when it comes to, you know, okay, well I want to dog food, the things that I am, uh, I want to dog food, the app and how I use it. I'm curious from your perspective, you work on an application or at least used to work on an application day in and day out um, at your day job where you are not a customer. Like you are not someone that is using that thing. And so I'm curious what sort of like practices or, you know, whether, whether intentional and structured or just sort of ad hoc that you ended up using to gain some of that experience or, you know, how you got that feedback from customers, because especially for your stuff, you have a website and a mobile application and yep. you don't use it. You're not even really particularly close to using it, you know? And right, so I'm, right, I'm right. curious how you had, have dealt with that in the past or, you know, any recommendations you might have for folks that are building apps for third party customers.
1: Sure. So what, I mean, one of the apps that, uh, that are company works on is a uh, an app for small business users that basically manages um, like a dispatch kind of business, like a plumber or um, something like that. And so yes, that's not I'm definitely not the um, target demographic of that application. but um, but what I try to always do is at least, you know, get myself a user account. Um, you know, not pay for it, but get myself one and, uh, and try to, you and, committed to this company or not, Brian, <laughs> there's a, f- a free coupon code that uh, <laughs> works everywhere. Um, but e- even just trying to, so like I'll do some, you know, freelance graphic design on the side. Um, I'll try to make my business work in that, you know, in that application, um, just to see what our, what our users are going through day to day. Um, and so I try to use it as much as possible. Um, obviously, a lot of the feature set does not you know, necessarily apply to me. Um, but sort of the other really big valuable thing that I think that I can do or developers can do is try to spend as much time as possible either talking directly to customers or watching customers use it. Um, that's something that admittedly I don't, you know, I don't get a ton of time to do, but when I do, I find that those are kind of like the most valuable, insightful, you know, half hour or hour that I spend with a customer to find out, Oh my God, like this is a, this is a, uh, a use case I never even considered. Um, and that's kind of the biggest surprises that are always like really delightful to find. Um, but that, I mean, I, I can't say enough about how important it is to at least watch your users, um, use the app. And there's all sorts of uh, really great ways to do this now with, um, with apps like AppSee. Um there's other, there's other ones that I can't think of right now. But what AppSee does is it's this mobile app um, or mobile library that you add to your app. And it's kind of like Google Analytics on steroids. Um, it tracks like user actions. It tracks um, touch events and drag events and all sorts of stuff. So you can actually see um, like a user session to see what they did. And where they left the app, or where they, you know, where they clicked the most. So, stuff like that is super helpful, um, in my opinion, to be able to see how your users are using it. Yeah.
0: What was that other? Um, there was a web version of this that yeah, uh, the- it was like
1: record videos
0: yeah oh man i'm trying to pull it up real quick if i can if not i'll if i can't find it i'll just stick it in the show notes um but there was a there was a website version of this that um i know the folks i believe at product hunt use uh so that was uh, a very similar
1: oh yeah so it would actually record live sessions yeah basically like it would like
0: show you where people were clicking uh, yeah i know there's
1: one like usertesting.com is obviously one of like the big Mm -hmm. ones where you would actually do kind of like focused um, you know, where you would give them a little test or a little task to complete. Um, and that's also super useful. But in my opinion, trying to watch someone, you know, use it in their day-to-day is going to be the most valuable um, for, at least for a development team, to be able to see, um, you know, where those friction points are and, um, and even just to see, like I said, those things that they may not have even thought of that their users are doing.
0: And so I'm kind of curious, given that at the beginning you said you came to the web for, you know, the sort of immediacy of it and Mm. not necessarily having to print and all that other stuff. Um, How does that translate to building iOS and Android applications? (laughs) (laughs) Because I feel like, I mean, so I I basically have no experience in that, um, but I do know that you don't just get to publish it like instantly um, and there are consequences for publishing something bad. so there's actually
1: these really great technologies now and oh my gosh the name is escaping me right now i think it's called code push or code that sounds about right i'll look it up and we can put it in the code in the show notes but um what it allows you to do is is almost like push live code to your native app okay um so you can make changes on the fly uh, which is a pretty interesting concept why would ios like allow that i don't know (laughs) I'm not yeah, sure. Interesting, but it's allowed. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of like large companies using it. Uh, regardless, that's not our experience in our day to day anyway. And uh, I will be the first to admit that I don't actually. Uh, uh, well, I, I, it's not that I don't participate, but I'm not writing any native <laughs> code. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> um, we have a great front end guy named Josh Coffee who does um, all our stuff in React Native. Um, which is, I think, still in alpha. Actually, it's like totally not a. Um, it hasn't been around for very long, but it's a Facebook um, slash open source project. I'm not. I don't, I don't even know. But um, <clears throat> what it allows you to do is uh, construct your user interface using the same kind of structure of React, um, and then it pushes up native Android and iOS code. Okay. And so, in our experience, it's been way faster. Um, than writing uh, native code. And I'm sure, you know, if you get a native developer who's been doing it for a long time, they can probably, you know, do it just as fast. Uh, But for our web team, which was, you know, mostly Ruby on Rails developers, uh, this seems like sort of a logical step um, to be able to get something to market really fast. Um, But uh, as far as stuff taking a long time, yeah, it definitely, I think, takes... It just seems like it takes a little bit longer. There's a lot of little gotchas that, you know, maybe just because we're unfamiliar with the territory, or you know, Apple's test suite it'll work fine in Xcode, but when you push it up to the App Store, they're like, oh, you forgot this .plist file or something like that. (laughs) So there's a lot of like back and forth stuff that happens there. But you still do get to see, you know, you set up your little test flight account, and so I get a push notification on my phone that says, hey, the new test version of this app is you know available and I can play with it right there on my phone. And that's to me a really fun thing to do because up until then it's been, you know, a mock up and sketch or an Xcode project and I don't get to actually touch it. But when you get to use it on your phone, you immediately find the problems. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> so that's been that's been a good time. But React I can't, you know, React Native has worked out really well for us. Um, and a lot of our developers are uh, are 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 deep into react as it is so react native is just kind of like a logical stepping point for us
0: okay okay cool awesome um yeah what else what else did you what else did you bring us what are there cool pieces of wisdom or things to chat about did pieces brian, of wisdom. Uh, so this is a completely did brian nelson bring
1: completely graphic designing nerdy thing but oh, something God. no 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 just, I, I want your opinion on this all right okay. so i want you to here let me just send you this uh this link so you can actually look at it and for for those of you following along I was going to oh, say
0: awesome because this audio ver,
1: this audio podcast is really going to do well so there's this uh new typeface that came out called Fira Code F I R A C O okay. D E and it's based uh, sort of structurally on Fira which is the I think Firefox's like uh, Mozilla's like official UI okay. font or something now. But anyway, what they did is they took this font and they made a monospaced version for programming and they added um programming ligatures. So do you know what a ligature is? I do not. Okay, so in uh we'll call it proper typefaces (laughs) there are
0: whoa so okay no (laughs) there are are
1: combinations of letters that render differently um so like uh an ellipsis
0: or a m dash uh
1: yeah well yeah but think of it more like uh, so like let's say like the word etna mount etna right is a e t n a or whatever you spell it a e uh actually gets combined into a single a single glyph uh-huh. um where their where the letters are touching right and there's all sorts of different sort of common ligatures but it's kind of up to the typeface designer so like double f's often get connected in a way that makes it look a little prettier than just having two f's next to each other um but so what they did in fira code is they took um things like a double equal sign or a triple equal sign and they when you type them into your code editor it'll actually convert them to the ligature version so instead of having you know two equal signs next to each other you just have basically like an extra long equal sign or instead of having three mm-hmm. equal signs next to each other you have a sort of triple line equal sign and so i wanted to know how you felt about that i don't know <laughs> uh,
0: so like if i copied and pasted this stuff with the ligatures and i pasted it into like a plain text editor yeah it would it would it would come over like quote unquote correctly
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it would come over as normal characters. Mm -hmm. You could basically it's a function of the font file. Um, Okay. So the font actually looks at the letters and says, "Hey, there's two equal signs next to each other. We're just going to display that special character we have for that instead." But if you copied and pasted it into, you know, text edit or whatever, it would just.
0: This is just a font rendering feature. Underlying code remains ASCII compatible. Exactly. I don't know, man. I feel like like
1: lipstick on a pig or something. (laughs) Well, I started, I just installed it today because I just heard about this. Like, of course you year. did. I wanted to play with it. And the very first thing I did was like, you know, foo equals bar. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was weird.
0: <laughs> I know. Because the
1: equal sign, I was expecting two equal signs. So I feel like it would take a lot of getting used to. But man, some of those arrows and stuff are really pretty. Yeah. That's all I want in my text.
0: Oh, man. Kinda, I don't know. I kind of want to install it, but I also think I'm going to hate myself.
1: We'll just put it on like there's a
0: ligature for the WWW where the W's are connected to each other That really bugs me. (laughs) It's really, it seems very important.
1: The, um, I mean, don't get
0: me wrong. These are beautiful. Like they're, they're, they're very nice looking. Um, I just, I, 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 I don't know. I, I fear that that like one of the things that I really value when I work with other people to be like totally honest is I'm not the kind of person that like tricks out their editor and tricks sure. out their environment because I find it really valuable that anyone can sit down and just start using it and like I have a coworker um, that is pretty Vim heavy and I know yes. like a, a minuscule amount of Vim right <laughs> and so like because I've just I, every time I try to learn it I get super frustrated like three days in and I give up but I know everyone that listens to uses Vim is going to be like well you got to give it more time and I'm like by three days I am at <laughs> maximum you're a noob I'm at maximum <laughs> fuck you uh, and so i i haven't really gotten into it and so my concern with some of this is like yep. especially in the like arrow arrow equals or like you know like the equality arrow equals arrow like it looks so different that i think that like your brain won't yeah
1: you wouldn't be able to like take rock it? it you'd be like what right. the heck does this actually mean and then like greater <laughs> than
0: or equal to like
1: doesn't make any sense to me where is that one? Oh um,
0: yeah i see you see what saying. i mean it's like it, it's like so for everyone at home it's basically like yeah. the the greater than arrow with an extra line underneath Yeah. um so you so it looks like a kind of like greater equal i guess is how mm-hmm. i would say it with words um so i don't know it, I, so I, I i think it's cool like i think that it's i could definitely see a scenario where this becomes like a standard thing you know like yeah. it's, but in, until such time like I don't know. I guess I over optimize for just like boringness Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. my setup, which probably doesn't make me like, hyper productive like some <laughs> other nerds at work that are really good at really having everything down no. i mean but when it comes like yeah i don't know when it comes to my editor it's it's honestly pretty damn boring because i'm convinced that my brain is what slows me down it's not all <laughs> of like everything else so uh yeah i don't know i mean i would definitely say you should check it out though if this interests you it is very beautiful it's a very uh old i would describe it as like an old school code font um yeah. with a little bit of extra uh modern twist Pazazz. to it. yeah
1: there's another one called input that um actually lets you sort of build which features you want in like if you want to have the a look like the nice like the squiggly a or kind of like the oh way you would write it in handwriting who's got time for this right i know well designers we're not spending time ripping our hair out trying to come up with why the heck this thing didn't work
0: i really enjoy the three stars uh that were the where the middle star is higher than the other two and it's like
1: we're gonna make this a little tighter is that like a that's supposed to be for a comment or something why when would you use that i mean i the problem is, yeah, see, the problem is, is I have a hard enough time reading code as it is that <laughs> <laughs> this would be an issue for me. I
0: would love to be able to turn this on and off just to <laughs> screw with people, you know?
1: No, but I know what you mean with Vim. Oh, my gosh. I was uh, screen heroing with uh, one of my coworkers the other day in very heavy Vim user, and I'm like, oh, only, well, let me just show you. We, I think we just need to add this CSS property here, and I, like, click one thing in his editor and done production (laughs) crashed you can't actually type you have to press some sort of i don't even know how vim works but
0: yeah so i mean i'm i'm just gonna throw you under the bus slightly like i'm way better than that (laughs) Uh, but but my editor of choice is adam Um, i was always a sublime user so uh once adam got sort of up to snuff um, I, i jumped over to that uh but But yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm always, I'm always sort of in awe of people who like are using Emacs and Vim and they've got like a really good setup and they're moving around and doing great. But, um, I don't know. I just never really, uh, I never really jumped into that. And now it just feels like to take a week to get up to speed for me personally. I'm just not sure I have the patience. It's not that I don't think I can do it. Um, because you know, um, there's a bunch of good folks, uh, like Rook, uh, from ThoughtBot, who like talks about this quite a bit, and it's you know, take a week, go one by one, get some skills, and keep moving. Uh, and I am convinced that works for like 95% of people. I just think I am particularly good at being stubborn. Sure. Um, and Your so- brain,
1: yeah. The pathways have been... heavily trodden basically i let
0: me think okay the good analogy is that like if you think of the grand canyon like what made it cut so well was that the water was flowing freely and quickly and and it's like if you just turn the faucet off to like a slow dribble um that's where my brain is now so it would take a lot of effort to cut a grand canyon out in there Uh,
1: i believe that
0: (laughs) oh man oh have you seen um So so one of the things that I've talked about a fair bit on the podcast before, obviously, with related to my day to day job, most of my stuff is in the back end, which does not behoove itself to interesting things to talk about um, with a a designer,
1: with a front end person. Yeah,
0: with a front end nerd (laughs) like yourself. Um, But I uh, I saw a really cool thing that came out called uh, GraphQL Voyager. (laughs) So basically, this is a really interesting way to visualize a GraphQL uh, endpoint because with GraphQL, right, uh, you can uh, introspect what the API will provide you, basically. So you can see all the options. And so like if you look at it, uh, the GraphQL Voyager, what it does is it basically creates this really awesome graph, like visual graph of how all the different types relate to each other. And so they have both the Star Wars API, which is like... Sort of the de facto example API, Um, but then they also have our our GitHub API. So if you look at like the Star Wars one, it's like wow, pretty reasonable. Like everything sort of flows to the right. Like you know, there's only so many types. And then if you click the GitHub one, it's like transmitting and it waits like a good (laughs) thirty seconds, and then it's basically I don't know, uh, delicious spaghetti. It's like a good Italian. Uh, it's, the, it's the
1: rebel alliance, not the, uh, not the empire.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's what happens when you have to use like three different kinds of extension cords to plug in your Christmas lights.
1: Every time you talk about GraphQL, I get really excited cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, I would love to just be able to say, I want this one piece of information from yeah. you know, a user profile or whatever. And it's st- in like it, I, I feel like that's how it should be. And so like when we're talking, when I'm talking with our mobile developers about, you know, oh well, we don't get that information with the job. I'm like, well, just go get it. Like, why? <laughs> why can't we just do that? <laughs> like, that's not how a REST API works, Brian. It's like, oh man, I just wish the GraphQL was the standard everywhere soon.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's got its like uh, ups I'm, and I'm, downs. Yeah, it's got its pros and cons, and it's got its place in certain scenarios and in others. You know, REST certainly does the job just as well. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I'll, I'll probably end up doing more and more uh, speaking about that in the coming days and weeks, uh, just because I think I think everyone's starting to go oh like this solves everything and it's like eh, it introduces just but as many problems <laughs>
1: also like how much uh oh wow yeah i see what you're saying i just <laughs> opened up like the yeah GitHub be careful your computer thing. is probably on
0: fire right now
1: um like there was a large amount of uh sort of startup cost for to set up GraphQL, right? Am
0: yeah, I-, I would say that I would say that it's probably like not horribly different than like a REST API. It's like just, a
1: good REST API. <laughs> you, know, like you just have to,
0: it, the, the The problem is the cognitive cost, right? Like a REST API, you're like, I'm gonna call this thing and yeah. I'm gonna get this data and it's very easy to sort of cheat and give more data than like you quote unquote should in a REST API. Sure. But with GraphQL, like you're modeling a graph, like you're basically just describing an object and its relationship to other objects objects and so you can't presuppose how people are going to use the data which is a lot more complicated you know but it it's for for folks like yourself like the promise is that yep i give you access you go build a feature you don't ever need to talk to anyone else
1: i know that's (laughs) my dream i just sit in a room by myself (laughs) (laughs) and never talk to anyone never speak but no i i I crave human interaction so maybe graphql is not a good answer for uh for a project that i'm working on but
0: yeah as a remote employee it's pretty great because you really feel lonely
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh man
0: (sighs) oh Yeah, so I mean, uh, so definitely go check that out. It's 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 All pretty right. neat. It's cool to get it's cool to get the tooling, and then I have one more uh, since since we've had such a good chat. And uh, like I mentioned last week with Joel, uh, Brian will be joining us again as a recurring guest, since uh, that is something that makes this podcast possible. <laughs> um, <laughs> viewers like you, <laughs> yeah, viewers like you, <laughs> and guests like Brian and Joel. Um, is this stupid thing? Have you seen this? So this is. Uh, this thing called edges to cats so oh if you scroll goodness. down a little bit down right, the page right. basically it allows you to draw a thing what? Uh, and so a lot of folks have drawn like octocats and it's pretty funny and then uh you draw a little picture oh, and then so you click what process.
1: It, this does like a like a reverse image search based on like the edges of the Oh. So, so it says
0: right there it's trained on a Shut <laughs> up. It's trained on about 2000 stock cat photos <laughs> and what it does is uh and I'm about to share a photo with you of my awesome drawing and uh the cat. Oh gosh, I can't uh, wait for
1: this.
0: Basically it's like okay it just like superimposes a cat that it thinks uh matches the the <laughs> shape <laughs> <laughs> of what you're looking for. So, <laughs> so the cool thing is that this is actually like a pretty cool piece of technology you know and it's just like a silly it's little a really
1: cool piece of technology right your Octocat uh alien thing is very creepy looking though i think it's, it's perfect. like an owl can we put images in the show notes this needs uh, to be in there somehow yeah we'll figure out oh my gosh this is horrible. It's so, yeah, this is stuff <laughs> of nightmares. This is my, this is my thing of the week. I think. All right. So, okay. So I can just do this right on the page. Oh my
0: yeah. God. So, I great. mean, I'm going to invite everyone go to, go check this page out or link it in the show notes. Yeah. Try it out. Edges to cats, do a cool drawing and tweet it to and us. Tweet please. it to me, uh, at K Daigle on Twitter. Um, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty legit
1: process. Um, <coughs> I think not I broke, so good. I think I broke it. Hold on how long does of it course, oh, whoa <laughs> of
0: course the designer would break it
1: <laughs> mine looks like um what was that movie gremlins Isn't yes that? with the creepy with the big eyes yeah that's what mine looks like all right um yeah so we should definitely yeah tweet it to kyle <laughs> tag it with uh Ooh, doggy we need some sort of tag uh R-O- r-o-r podcast r-o-r oh i was just gonna say roar cat
0: ROR. No, ROR podcast, <laughs> hashtag ROR podcast. How about ROR
1: um, pod cats?
0: Oh, okay. We've reached no, the maximum okay. of um, podcast
1: uh, podcast.
0: Um, so yeah, I mean, thanks so much, Brian, for coming on. I'm glad uh, folks will be able to get to know you and then we'll have you back in a couple of weeks and we can, we can talk more about your, your rails woes and uh, maybe teach, <laughs> teach you some rails on the podcast. I
1: think we should have a feature. Yeah. Where you like a sort of segment where you teach me something that I should probably already know. That'll be easy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks for having me, Kyle. Yeah, no problem.
0: Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. See you in a couple of weeks. all right thank you so much brian for coming on that was a lot of fun uh we're gonna put a bunch more information into the show notes and so please go check those out if you have any questions or you'd like to see what we were talking about since this uh figures the designers on and we most of the episode is actually quite visual um so you can look at the show notes at five by five dot com slash ruby on rails until next time i'm kyle daigle thanks for listening